What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. I love to read about all kinds of things, but one of my favorite things to read about is objects that I may have heard about but don't really know much about. I love delving into the history and context of familiar objects to really get to understand them and their role in society much better. One recent book that was just this kind of book for me was Tommy, The Gun That Changed America by Karen Blumenthal. The Tommy gun, immortalized by texts and films realizing the gangster and outlaw era of the United States, is known by many, but few really understand its whole history. Blumenthal seeks to change this in her accessible biography of the gun's invention, its rise to fame, and its overall influence on the world. John Thompson was determined to create a lightweight gun that could fire fast for use by soldiers on the battlefield. Delays in development prevented his gun from being ready for use during World War I, but its compact size and its ability to spray hundreds of bullets a second made it the favorite weapon for the bootleggers and outlaws of the 20s and 30s. As the weapon of choice for some of the most famous names of the time, from Capone to Dillinger, the gun's infamous history has made it an American icon. Chronicling both the inventors and purveyors of the gun, Blumenthal clearly shows not only the science behind how the gun was made, but also how it ended up in the hands of criminals. Portraits of the gun itself and of the people making it and using it bring to life some very interesting historical connections that bring clarity to much of the gun control controversy that still grips the nation today. A fascinating read on its own, the text also has some great reading extensions, including other nonfiction like Blumenthal's Bootleg and even fiction like Chaldenko's Al Capone Does My Shirts. So take a tip from us here at Rachel's World and check out Tommy, a book for readers of all ages who will be gripped by this extraordinary story about a familiar object they probably don't know much about. Costumes, music, dance, scenery, all become powerful elements in the telling of a story. The magic of theater is front and center stage for us in this segment of Worlds Awaiting. Teresa Love has been working as a theater specialist for over 30 years and currently teaches in the BYU Theater and Media Arts Department. She also instructs classroom teachers about the value of drama in elementary schools and even teaches a class on storytelling. She recently directed Water Sings Blue with BYU's Theater for Young Audiences, known as The Young Company. The play is based on Kate Coombs' award-winning poetry book about the ocean. Here's Rachel and Teresa Love. We're in studio with Teresa today. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you. You know, a lot of people don't realize it, but all of the arts have these elements. When we think about reading or we think about literature, we have the, you know, the, the elements of literature or even just the basic pieces like the letters of the alphabet that help us to really understand what this thing is. So when we talk about drama, what, what are the elements of drama? What are those basic pieces that can help us understand it a little deeper if we know how to kind of break it apart? 
Sure. You know, the very beginning of drama is an actor who has a problem. And then that problem gets staged, and he or she may need to have other people to help him explain or explore that problem. He or she may also need to have costumes or props or scenery that may help, and a story arc. Most drama tends to find itself with a story. And so story structure is really important. So exposition, inciting event, rising action, climax and falling action. Good old Aristotle. Um, you know, he just noticed what we did because our, you know, our, and he wrote it all down and we all went, oh, he's so brilliant. But of course, we all know this instinctively. And now the brain science tells us that we're hardwired for story. And so there you go. Those are the main parts. I call it theatrical language are these other things, like the, if you need music to enhance, or you might need dance or choreo, you know, Theater itself is an integrated art. It pulls in everything. We claim all that stuff. But it all goes down to an actor making his way through a story, her way through a story, and uh, sharing it with other people. So when you look at some of these other kind of associated arts, when you talk about music and dance, what would be the reasons that you would want to include that? If you were thinking through this as your as your process, I know you you do that as a director. Um, how how do you decide? Oh yeah, this would add to well, what we're trying to t- do. Yeah, well, sometimes it's just like when you you know a musical turns into a musical because the actor just can't stand it. The only way that he could possibly express it is in a song. Same thing with movement or rhythm or. The lights change because this will tell that part of the story better. So it's all in support of the story. It's all in support of getting those problems solved and that journey getting taken and then resolved. And yeah, Aristotle again, having a catharsis. So we all feel a little bit changed by having the experience. That's really interesting. I think particularly as a member of the audience or somebody consuming this, it's helpful to understand kind of the thought process that went through to putting it up on the stage. And I I often find a lot of people don't think this way, but for me, it's especially critical. And I think I look at something and I think, okay, why did they do it that way? What does this add to the story? Or how does this tell me tell the story differently? Or if they had done it differently, how would I be seeing it differently? So do you ask those yourself those kind of questions as you produce? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely we do. And also, sometimes we're just trying to start a conversation. We're not trying to get people to un- come to a conclusion, but just start talking about it, thinking about it, addressing it. And so lots of times, even though the story concludes, the real big conversation that is presented by the production, that... That may just be um, a question mark, and people may leave the theater with a question. If that's what we plan them to do, that's a great thing. If they are leaving confused because they didn't get anything that we tried, well, then we have to go back to the drawing board to start again. So give us an example of a production that you may have been involved in that you, where you did that, where you said, okay, we're going to do it this way to help this conversation start. Ah, well, we did, uh, I did an adaptation of Kate Coombs' Water Sings Blue, which is a poetry book, an award-winning poetry book. It's all about the ocean. And I wanted to have a conversation about how incredible poetry was. And that it is um, sort of real life on steroids and it's just 
oh, this wonderful way of communicating. But kids get afraid of it. Grumps get afraid of it. So we set these poems within a story. There was no story. There's no narrative in this book. We put these, we found, we made up stories and we thought, let's see if we could put these poems in so that the only dialogue that the actors say is the poetry. It's like the only way they could express this part of the story was by saying this poem. All right. It's kind of a high concept, you know. And so I kept trying to explain to people and until we started really working, my actors, I'm sure, thought I was insane. And as we did, we we ended up highlighting this poetry um, and people got it. They were delighted by it. I was hoping that as they left, they would go, oh, huh, poetry. Gee, I wonder, I wonder if I'd like other poetry And since I like this one. And so that was the conversation I was trying to start. That's a wonderful conversation to start and brings an interesting question to my mind. Of all of the literary forms, I think drama and poetry are the most able to convey emotion in their work. So why do you think those two elements of literature just convey emotion better than some of the other forms do? Well, I think because they're meant to be spoken, for one thing. So we always have voice in our head, which, again, is one of the elements of drama that I didn't mention is is voice. And they are concentrated. It's like concentrated real life. So we don't have paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs to talk about the red. We just have to figure out a way in poetry. We have to figure out a way to use the perfect word with the right rhythm that's going to get the feeling for the red. It's the same way with, um, with drama, with theater. And we are very cognizant of audience. So we can't, we can't go on for days and days about, you know, red in the theater either. People will fall asleep and little kids will start braiding each other's hair and, you know, they'll fall out of, they'll fall out of attention. So it's very, um, audience-oriented, I think, and super concentrated. And that's why people respond to it. That's why they go, I've had a thing. I've had an experience. And I think that's really interesting, too, because one of the things I love about theater is this sense of community, that we come together in a room and we're all sharing the same thing at the same time, although we might be sharing something slightly different at the same time, too, which is different to me than like watching a movie at home just by myself or with my family. So there is this wonderful sense of community that's built through theater. Exactly. The audience brings energy. They bring everything that they are into that room. And that's the theater artist's, artist's job to feel that and make that work with the thing that they want to share. It's so – as we've become more um, – as we have screens every every single place and interactive screens, theater is actually, uh, I think, claimed its space as right now, this thing, these people, right now, this is what theater is. And and that's what I love to be able to present for to parents and families right now. It's never going to change. Life is precious. Bam. So what is it that theater offers us in a way of that visual quality that other forms like movies or video wouldn't? Well, when I work with uh, young actors for the first time who haven't really performed for young audiences, 
and maybe not even have that much theater experience, I'll say, do not be surprised if the kids reach out and touch you. They're going to touch your feet or touch your, you know, if they're up close, because they don't get this. They don't understand. They don't get that somebody is in a created world in front of them. And they're still living. All their created worlds are you go up to the TV and poke it, nothing happens. And in fact, what's, you know, I taught, I'm, I taught, well, that's what directors do, they teach. I worked um, in Los Angeles for very many years with professional actors, but many of them hadn't worked for young audiences. Um, all, I would say almost to a person, they would come up to me after we had worked together for a while and worked in front of young audiences, that they, they would say, you know, I was afraid I would get more coarse or overdone or not as subtle in my acting. But what it's done is made me more subtle. I understand audiences. I'm more tuned into what the audience needs, feels, wants, and what the text could give, give for them because I've had to work in front of, of you know, young people who are, if they don't, if they don't get it, they're going to let you know. <laughs> and if they love it, they are going to let you know. So you know when you connect. It makes the actors be better actors as opposed to poorer actors. That's an important thing to note. And just that sense of engaging with each other and, and being better because of the experience yes. that we had. Uh-huh. Thank you so much, Trisha. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thanks, Rachel. Drama and theater specialist Teresa Love, talking about the power of story and the importance of engaging our children with theater. Next, Rachel visits with David Barney, professor of physical education at BYU. Physical activity has been proven by research to stimulate the brain and increase blood flow, which, as Barney will relate, increases our capacity to learn. After physical activity, students' reading and math skills improve and they become more focused. David Barney is a member of the Teacher Education Department at BYU. He has taught at Oklahoma State University, North Dakota State University, and in public schools in Utah and Florida. Here is David with Rachel. We're in studio with David today. Welcome, David. Thank you. Good to be here. I am really excited to visit with you today because we are going to kind of extend our definition of literacy a little more broadly here. As our listeners well know, this is a very broad definition that we use. But you are a professor of physical education here at BYU. And so let's bring that in the mix. One of the things that I know is that there's some great connections and physical education particularly makes some great connections. So let's start out there. What what are some of the connections that we make with physical education to other parts of our lives? Um, first of all, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Um, this opportunity to talk a little bit about something I thoroughly enjoy and have a passion for. Uh, there is a lot of connectedness. It does play an important part. Uh, we're, we're finding, we've found, personally i found that as you are physically active, as you participate something and, and and this isn't saying something bad but it's if if you can if you just go out and walk what comes of that is 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 really a great benefit um we're finding that physical activity uh and i'm i'm, I'm no physiologist i'm a pedagogist but the research is showing that it does stimulate the brain the blood flow increases thus encouraging uh, magnifying making learning more possible. Um, Some years ago, I did a study, and I asked elementary classroom teachers, I said, what happens to your kids when they come back from 
physical education class. So this was this was K through six um, elementary's classroom teachers, and and surveyed them, interviewed them, and talked with them. And they said, you know, they come back and they're a little hyped up, which is understandable. But they can they can come down. We can get them down, and 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 they can focus better. They they read better. Um, and they, they said, amazingly, they do really good with math. And, and again, this is K through six. Never did anything with the junior high or the high school kids. But again, they're finding that they come back and, and, and they're more focused. You know, and so if you're, if you're a classroom teacher, <laughs> a classroom teacher, an elementary classroom teacher, and you have your students come back and they're able to sit down and do those things, you know, it probably makes your job a lot easier. And so that was, I thought that was very satisfying, rewarding to hear that, hey, physical education can help classroom teachers or can play a part in helping students learn. I I think that's a wonderful way to look at it, David, because it really is this sense of interconnectedness. And I think sometimes we put things in a little box. We say, oh, this is PE and this is reading and this is math. And we put them in all these little boxes. But when they really develop and go together in this very fun way. And I like this sense of focus. Let's delve into that a little bit more. What What is it about your study in your studies that you found that really helps them bring that focus after that kind of activity? Well, it, it, during the talking to the teachers in the interviews, <laughs> a lot of the teachers said, you know, the kids come back and they get their wiggles out or their nervous energy or that energy taken out. And because of that, you know, the teacher says, okay, let's get out our math books or let's get out our reading books. And, and they do it, but then they, 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 they sit there and they can focus and they can read. And, and they never really came out and said it. The teachers never really came out and said it, but they said they're able to read. And the teacher says, okay, what did we read? Or can you tell us what we read? Or tell me what four times eight is or whatever. And the kids can, can, can remember it or they can recall it. And so I thought, well, boy, that's I think that's pretty important, um, and in helping kids learn. And then, and then as these kids, you know, they go, hey, I can remember this, or hey, I can be a part of the conversation. To a certain degree, I think it can help them feel like, hey, this is important, or this is good stuff. That sense of knowing if it's good stuff is really yeah. helpful. And I think a lot of times we as adults put labels on things or we decide if it's good or not. And we don't help <laughs> kids understand if it's good or not. So beyond focus, I think focus is a really great thing. But beyond focus, what is physical education good for? What is what is its benefit, particularly for children? You know, I, I, I tell my students or we tell our students we say, you know, we're, we're not preparing these kids to be the starting pitcher for the Dodgers or to be the starting quarterback for the Rams or whatever. But they could be if they wanted if to. If they want to, <laughs> that, that's, that's an added bonus. <laughs> we, want them to, we want them to learn skills that will be able to carry them throughout their whole life, um, that will be able to give them the simple pleasure of being able to go out and to go on a jog and enjoy it or to go out and play basketball with your child. Um, what's kind of interesting is... My neighbor across the street, good man, and we, we come to find out, we've lived there for five years with him, come to find out he likes playing catch. I love playing catch. My daughter's 19 years old. She's not a real big baseball fan. My, my 10-year-old son, he has other interests. And so my neighbor and I, we play catch. And so something as simple as throwing and catching a ball, um, and some people may go, um, that's not that big of a deal. Well, my neighbor, he says, you know, this is really therapeutic for me. <laughs> And I'm glad I can be that. But, you know, for me, it's just, it's just good, good old fun, good, clean fun. 
Um, but something like that, that we're, we're teaching them skills that they can carry throughout their whole life and that they can benefit from um, and then get some health benefits from at the same time. I love that. And I that story that you tell brings up an interesting thought to me that a lot of this, too, is about the social relationships that it we is. build. So a lot of sports and a lot of these kinds of activities are about social relationships. So do you see benefits there kind of oh, in yeah. the social nature? Exactly. There, there is. Um, you know, you teach kids how to work together. Now, again, I'm not in athletics, but in, when you when you're in an athletic team, basketball team, football team, hockey team, whatever it might be. Even if you play tennis, you're probably playing with other athletes, but you have to work together. Um, there's that, that element of communication, give and take, uh, the element of, of listening to instructions, directions, uh, simple things, but really pay off big down the road later in life. I mean, if you can't get along with people, you probably won't have a job <laughs> or keep a job for that, for that reason. And so, you know, simple benefits, Simple blessings or things that come from that. I know. And I that it amazes me just this kind of extension. When we start thinking about things a little more broadly, we see all of these other kind of benefits. Of course, the health benefits go without saying. Right, right. But then you say things like being able to follow instructions. <laughs> and in some ways, I think actually problem solving yeah. would be a yeah. huge part of this. So what kind of those mental skills do uh, physical education kind of activities help us build with our children? Well, I think I don't know. I don't know how mental this is, but I think one thing it teaches them determination, mm. um, the ability to stick to something, to see it through, to get it done. My son signed up to play soccer, and, and as the season progressed, he says, "You know, Dad, I don't think I want to play soccer." And I said, "Sam, <laughs> we've signed up. I've paid money. You're playing." Type of thing. And so, I, hopefully, to teach him to say, "Hey, Sam, we need to do, we need we need to stay on task. We need to be determined to get this done." And again. Uh, the social skills, being able to get along and being able to, you know, work together. I mean, obviously, you can look, you look back in life or you can look back and say, you know, I didn't like this person, but I had to work with them. Um, And we had to work it out. We had to communicate, whatever it might be. And and not that you're going to have problems like that in, in a PE class, but yet the fact that you're having to work with people, having to communicate, I think is something that can benefit throughout your whole life. And I really like that, David, because the, the sense of this benefit lasting throughout your whole life is, is important. I know there's a lot of research right now out there about this sense of grit is what they're calling it, this yes. determination, yes. being able to stick with things. And they're finding that people that have this grit are the ones that are successful. And I think, like you said, that PE and physical activity and enjoying being able to enjoy physical uh-huh. activity can help us build that real deep sense of grit. Right. It, it um, again, we're not going to prepare these kids to be professional athletes, but they're going to they're going to learn. I think they're going to learn some lessons. I feel they're going to learn lessons that can pay off throughout their life down the road um, as they go throughout their life. What advice would you have for parents or concerned adults that are involved in kids' lives? How can they help their children really kind of find this joy and love mm-hmm. that comes from physical activity? Probably one of the main things is to make it fun, make it enjoyable. Um, I've seen parents that truly love their kids, <laughs> but almost too much, to the point where they're they're paying large amounts of money, they're driving them all over to play in the sports, which, again, are good. But truly, in many cases, the children aren't enjoying it. It's not a good experience. Uh, they burn out. 
Make it fun. Make it enjoyable. If it's not fun, then why do it? <laughs> but I, I cannot agree more. You know, but there is this tricky balance, particularly for adults, like with you and your son saying, we paid money, you're going to do it. Right. So how do we as adults kind of find that balance, particularly some of these more constructed activities right. like sports teams? And that's and- a $75 question, finding that balance, finding what you want. And so this summer, again, my son, um, I told him, I said, Sam, I said, you're going to read this summer. And he didn't like that. But anyway, he's been reading. And I said, Sam, whatever you read, find something you like, okay? And so we've gone through four or five different books. We've got maybe four or five chapters. He's like, I don't like this. I said, okay, Sam, let's find something else. And so we found something that he seems to have caught his interest in. So finding something that that the kids are vested in or like or interested in um, is kind of the hook to get them going. And hopefully they'll have experiences that will make it better, encourage them, um, to, to, to keep on, to keep going um, as they participate. You know, and as a physical education teacher, having an activity and say, was this an enjoyable experience? And if they say no, well, then maybe we shouldn't do this again. <laughs> as much as you like it, like it or love it or, or thought it went well, if they don't like it, then let's find something else. Um, these, these little people, these young people, they're sharp. They're smart. They, they know what they want. And I think that that is a perfect note to end on. They are sharp. And if we as adults engage with them in that way, we'll be able to find things that they love and are passionate about and that make them into really <laughs> amazing adults someday. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time today, David. Thank you. David Barney, professor of physical education at BYU, discussing the importance of physical activity for enhanced learning. We finish up the show today with a book review from Anne-Marie Marchant, Teen Librarian and Teen Programs Director at the Provo Public Library in Utah. Marchant introduces a young adult novel entitled Echo by Pam Munoz Ryan. First book I want to recommend today is Echo by Pam Munoz Ryan. Um, It's a fairly new title. It came out in 2015, and it has already won a lot of awards. Um, It was a Newbery honor. It got the Kirkus Prize, the New York Times Editor's Choice, ALA Notable Book. Um, It was one of the NPR 2015 Great Reads. It's been on the New York Public Library 100 Titles for Reading and Sharing and was the Southern California Independent Booksellers Association Middle Grade Book of the Year. And in addition to all of the print awards it's, it's received, um, it also has, the audiobook has some specific awards, the Audio Award and the Odyssey Award Honor. And I read the book via audiobook, and I think that that's the way to go. Because the audiobook had um, music playing um, interspersed throughout the book, and it just added to the book. You have to listen, about, listen to it on audiobook. You can read it, but I think you should listen to it. Um, So I just have to read you the blurb from the book because I couldn't sum it up any better than they did. Lost and alone in the forbidden black forest, Otto meets three mysterious sisters and suddenly finds himself entwined in a puzzling quest involving a prophecy, a promise, and a harmonica. Decades later, Friedrich in Germany, Mike in Pennsylvania, and Ivy in California each become interwoven when the very same harmonica lands in their lives, binding them by an invisible thread of destiny. All of the children face daunting challenges, rescuing a father, protecting a brother, holding a family together. How their suspenseful solo stories converge in an orchestral crescendo will resound in your heart long after the last note has been struck. 
And like I said, I just love the audiobook, and I'd recommend it to um, families taking road trips. I just felt like it was a great read um, for, for the whole family. And um, I just, I don't know, I just keep thinking about it ever since I've read it. And I don't know, there's not really a way to describe it. You just have to listen to it or read it. It's great. Anne-Marie Marchant, teen librarian and teen programs director at the Provo Public Library, reviewing the young adult novel Echo by Pam Munoz-Ryan. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app and at byuradio.org.